Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I mean, no one plans to get sick. And yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. A quarter century ago, I was given six months to live with a diagnosis of terminal brain cancer. For more than 15 years, I've been ranting and raving on the air about stupid cancer and now stupid healthcare, and I'm just getting warmed up. So let's all go make healthcare suck less together because you know what? We're all out of patience. Hey, that's the name of the show. Alrighty, friends, welcome back to the show. A quick reminder before we get started. If you like the show, I hope you do. How about a like, a review, a rating, or something on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your stuff that lets you say nice things about the show? Or not, it's fine. We're still friends. On the show today, the one and only Grace Vinton, media specialist at Amendola and host of High Tea with Grace on the Hit Like a Girl podcast, whose mission is pretty simple, to celebrate women leaders in healthcare and health IT. They advocate for and create more paths to leadership positions for girls and young women to follow. Grace is an unapologetic nerd who owns her shit. She knows her stuff. She calls people out and she's just insanely smart. One of those people that makes you feel like the dumbest person in the room. And I welcomed her live here in studio for an incredible conversation that I know you're going to love. So let's get started. Grace Vinton. Matthew. Excellent to see you today. See me. Physically see me. In person. I'm enjoying the opportunity to have real people in real life in my studio once again until the world explodes next time. I just heard they opened up some type of mummy in Egypt that was like thousands of years old. Was Tom Cruise there? He probably should have been, but was a bad I almost movie, wanted to still. tell them to put it back. Yeah, we don't need any more voodoo on this earth. No more voodoo, no more bad luck, please. Dear King Tut, please just go back where you came from. Go there's back. enough. There's enough strange fucking karma going on this planet. Exactly. I love your show, High Tea, right? High Tea with Grace, yeah. H-I-T, mm-hmm. it's a play on words. Yes, health information technology, a talk with innovators in the industry that are just making a big impact in healthcare, health IT, and life sciences. All those words didn't exist in the 90s. After cancer, I had a job and like I fixed computers and did shit like ISDN lines and Macromedia Flash. That was just called information services. There really was no tech back then. IT was invented in the 2000s in like the media universe. When did you first decide this is what I want to do? I've always had uh, an excitement for the healthcare industry. I guess when I started about 10 years ago, I started in media for publishing, actually, which is kind of random, except my first 
client in the healthcare industry was a healthcare publisher, and they were actively involved in healthcare, life sciences, pharma, pharmacy, radiology, anything you can think of, but also health IT. And I just love that whole idea of marketing and communications with a mission, really that, you know, you're helping people understand and know about technologies and life sciences and important research that's saving lives. It's really marketing that's saving lives. And so I was driven towards that and ever since then have loved getting to know people in the industry and figuring out how they're saving lives and letting everyone I can possibly know know about it. Are you one of those people that actually went to school for what you're doing? Sort of. I studied government and communications and then did my master's in leadership and communications. I'm going to allow it. Yeah. So (laughs) definitely sort of. But then in 2017, I had my own personal health event where I had chronic pain for about a year and a half and misdiagnosis after misdiagnosis. And I finally totally got it. I was like, oh, this is why this is so impactful. (laughs) Once you're a patient and you're in that patient role, you see the impact that innovation can have on people's lives, their families, and what it means. And so it just gave me a huge understanding of why it is important to be in healthcare, healthcare IT. Yeah, which leads me to something I've always talked about, which is you kind of only believe the sky's falling after it's fallen on you. So is there a whole point to convince people the sky might fall on them one day is the whole national conversation of like, can you try to not get these things if it's possible? Yeah, I think if anything, you know, digital health, healthcare, IT, it gives hope to people who have had a hard time with the healthcare system overall. Yes. (laughs) When you've had to put your records in your backpack and carry them from specialist to specialist, that is stressful. And I think healthcare IT is a shining light in what's going on in the healthcare industry overall and in the amazing innovations that are taking place to try to change it and make it better and make it easier for patients to access care, making it more accessible and just making care better. Yeah, the, the idea of having to stop your records. I just, again, going to the 90s, this is when CD-ROMs became a thing. But they handed me a freaking CD to bring these places. They couldn't send them other places. And even today, Grace Cordovano was here last week. She stopped by. She's awesome. I and love I love her. her to death. And she's amazing. <laughs> but she came out just to, to grab a bite and hang out. But while she was here, she got a call from one of her clients that they had to transfer their records from like Sloan in New York to Sloan in New Jersey. They both use share care and yet they couldn't do it. She had to go there, get the records as proxy, drive them to New Jersey. What the fuck is this all about? It's absolutely insane. One of my good friends, Effie Parks, she's the host of uh, Once Effie. Upon yeah. a Gene. Yeah. And she had a similar experience where they said, uh, we can't get those records. So what we're going to do is have you get the CD-ROM and mail it to us. It's like, they might as well fax what? it. We want you to fax your CD-ROM well, to and us. Fax 70% of healthcare communications is still done via fax. Yeah, we, we, you and I should do a show called What the Facts. Yeah, or kick the facts out the window. Yes, we're going to do the office space scene where we take it out to the park and hit it with a bat. <laughs> or drop it off of an office building like the watermelon or something. Yeah, just there's got to be some way to, like, we should just have, like, a national tire-burning, Simpsons-style facts burning. And the interesting thing about facts is, is that we have basic interoperability now. Yeah. Like, there's... You can connect with pretty much any machine at this point. There's literally no reason for it. Right. I mean, we're still working towards semantic interoperability and really, you know, understanding, having you push information from one place to another and understanding it. But 
we have the ability to at least push the information to the right place. Yeah. I mean, I, my pharmacy is pill pack. Amazon bought them and I've known them for a long time. TJ Parker and I met years ago and I loved everything they stood for because they were first to market with this. And despite them having an app and great customer service and texting and everything, they still have to fact shit to my primary care doctor for prescription renewals. And why is this a thing? It's a challenging thing in change management. Yes. Once people get the tech, it's figuring out how to use it, how to use it to its best ability, you know, including it in your day to day, in your routines. And it takes time. And healthcare has been historically very slow. And the pandemic, in many ways, has forced people to speed up adoption yeah. of these technologies just because people have had to stay home. And so there has been, in many ways, a speed up of usage of the technologies. But until it becomes just snap of your finger, it's going to take a long time. I mean, it shouldn't have had to take a pandemic to force adoption mm -hmm. and trust in the American consumer for this. Yeah. But if there's any remote dark comedy silver lining, it's we now know what telehealth is. Yeah. And we understand this. Have you covered the issue of reimbursements getting redacted from telehealth? Once the things settle down, if things settle down, it's pretty wild what's going on out there in terms of telehealth reimbursements and whether people will pay for it, whether the government will pay for it. I mean, just the pay schedules themselves are confusing and the codes are also confusing right. with telehealth. And they've been they've had to make new codes and fix old codes and telehealth versus remote patient monitoring being different and exactly what that means. So I know there's a lot of confusion out there, um, but there are people in the tech world that are working tirelessly to try to fix what they can within the regulations that are currently out there. I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago about how when Chicago realized it was irredeemable as a city, they just built a new Chicago over Chicago. That's why there's like two Chicagos. <laughs> like we can't even deal with this city anymore. Yeah. Let's just build a new Chicago over it. Mm -hmm. It's probably an implausible thing to do with healthcare in this country. Yeah. Can you point to any one or two specific things that you've observed or written about or talked about or spoke to people about that actually made a difference that are real things we could look at? Oh, that works now. Yeah, I would definitely say with decentralized clinical trials, uh, they're pretty amazing. Let's define those up for the listeners. Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. So before you used to, have to go to an academic institution to do a clinical trial. And for patients, that's very burdensome. I mean, inexpensive to be have to travel hundreds of miles to an academic institution. I mean, let alone if you have a rare disease or something and you live in Florida and it's happening in Washington state. I mean, you have to move to Washington state to yeah. take part in it. You couldn't use your own doctors. You couldn't use your own tech. That wasn't an option. So now, since the pandemic, there are decentralized clinical trials that are happening that can happen in your own pocket, literally with your phone, yeah. where you you know record your levels. And now you can actually even work with your own primary care doctor mm -hmm. if there are certain tests that have to take place. And it's pretty amazing. And then you know digital therapeutics are now being used alongside decentralized trials so that you can use your own, you know, cell phones to help better your headaches or your IBS or yeah. whatever it is that you're in the, you know, clinical Who trials. Who might for, be so. opposed to this? Were there barriers? Is this some kind of like lobby group we don't want to talk about or want to throw hate on? Who wouldn't want this to be a thing? I know. You really wonder. I don't think it's that people didn't want it to be a thing. I just don't think they realized that they should forward this and make it something that is available now until the pandemic hit and all of a sudden everyone was stuck at home. Right. And then they're like, OK, well, we can do these clinical trials from home. 
oh, wait, it actually increases accessibility and diversity and the ability of multiple participants to to take part in these things. And so it's really interesting that the pandemic kind of fueled that need to make a change. I mean, before they're like, oh, the academic institutions got this. And they do. They're very capable. Um, but that's just one way that tech has made a change and is actually changing the way things are being yeah. done. The hesitancies of, you know, the risk averseness for science and data versus yeah. what consumers want. You mm-hmm. got to build the trust model. I remember back maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. Just for the listeners, the concept of oral parity was a new idea because mm-hmm. we had made so many advances in medicine that you didn't have to go for an infusion and get chemo for nine hours in a chair. There's a pill you oh, could take yeah. in your house, mm-hmm. but payers wouldn't cover it. You uh, have to go to the hospital. We're not going to pay for the pill. And it was just so grotesquely inconvenient because the pill is the same damn thing as the infusion. And yeah. eventually, citizen lobbyists and patient activists and nonprofit groups forced the hand of CMS. Yeah to guarantee that if there's an oral parity option for you, you don't have to schlep to your point mm-hmm. 600 fucking miles to a hospital to take a pill. You can do it at your house and take care of your kids. See, that's amazing. And that's exactly what we need is people joining together and saying, this is what we need and let's just do this thing. And because during the pandemic, that's what happened and it changed things. It right. really did. Can you point your fingers to any specific people you've interacted with in the course of your media career that, oh my God, that guy, that girl, that person, that policy. I have to say that every CEO that I've ever spoken to that is mission oriented, that they understand the humanity and the value and the mission behind what they're doing has impacted me tremendously. It's the CEO that talks to patients before they even start their company. What is your experience? This is what I think can make it better. Do you think that can make it better? It's the CEO that says, I'm here to fix this administrative burden problem, even in the rev cycle, just to help make it easier for the people in the back office so they're not stressed all the time. You know, it's the people who really understand the mission behind what they're doing. That inspires me. And the people that understand that their product and and what their software is not the hero at all. Mm -hmm. The patient, the physician, that's the hero. And it's those CEOs that have really inspired me throughout my career to say, wow, you know, they get it that what they're doing, it's not just a moneymaker. It's not just a and maybe it does, but it's saving lives. I feel like that to me is almost an anthropological evolution of leadership. Exactly. It didn't really exist. It's like a servant leadership. Yeah. To the next level, a mission leadership. It's doing things to better the world and not just better yourself. And maybe it does better yourself, and maybe it does get you ahead, but at the end of the day, it's the folks that are really saying, I'm in this for the patients. So let me put my cynic hat on, because I ran this nonprofit, Stupid Cancer, Mm -hmm. for 14 years, and the perspective I have is there was no money in it for companies to give a shit about us until we prove that we help them make money by doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. When we stick on our medicines, when we are able to stay you know, compliant, take our pills, actuaries say, oh, there's a health economic gain here and we could do this, but now you need to care about these people because they'll help you make money if you do the right thing. Mm-hmm. That's my cynic hat. How do you feel about that? I've just never really been a cynic. <laughs> so What's I wrong have- with you? <laughs> Come to my side. Yes, I know. I understand. I'm a total optimist. And I I believe that when people truly have a mission, you can tell the difference between how they talk about it and how they lead their teams, how they go about their leadership. And so there are companies out there that truly do care about 
bettering patient safety and quality of healthcare and bettering the experience of healthcare for all. Well, I mean, life science is kind of like a made up. It's like when they invented NoHo. Yeah. Right? Like, okay, it's just north of Houston Street. We're going to NoHo now. Well, and there's such a blur now between healthcare IT and digital health and life sciences and right. pharma because of how innovation is all coming in on itself. Like right. precision dosing is a great example of that. Wait, explain that. Jargon buttons. Yeah. So precision dosing is basically using data and analytics to give the patient the right amount of dosage of their drug that they're taking for not a one size fits all anymore. Yes, exactly. So you can actually use data and analytics to make sure that a person is getting the right dosage. And obviously, so many great things that can come from that. You're really into this. Oh, I love it. I love this (laughs) industry. And the cool thing from my place where I'm in is I get to work with healthcare, health IT and life sciences. So I'm working with doctors and nurses every day talking about their day to day. I get to work with these health IT folks that are, are in changing coding and software and new technologies, new med devices that are coming in and impacting lives. And then these life sciences and pharma companies that are really trying to change clinical trials. They're trying to improve, you know, dosing, trying to improve um, the quality of drugs using data and analytics. And it's, it's really fascinating to see all of these amazing technologies come to the forefront and and really be making an impact. Well, it, the running joke, of course, is we always say like, oh, you don't even want to know how the sausage gets made, but we're making the sausage. Yeah. <laughs> and we know the people making the sausage parts and the, the machines that make the sausage and the machines that make the machines that make the sausage. It's a fascinating, like almost like an underworld. Yes. You're living and breathing and swimming in it every day. Yeah. My favorite thing is to talk with these amazing people who are making the sausage, you know, yeah. and sausage makers and to really pull out the stories of how they're impacting lives in the process, whether it's their own employees or it's the physicians or IT specialists. I love to make these stories human and understandable and and help them even see. Sometimes I think when you're in the middle of making sausage, you can forget that that is what you're doing. Even if that's your mission, you know, and you, you know that you know that you know that it's doing it. It's helpful to pull out the real life stories. You know, that was a, a fairly unfavorable idiom for many, many years because the sausage was basically full of pork shit oh, yeah. and dead rats <laughs> and cockroaches. And I don't even want to know what's in the sausage. But now it's become like a popular metaphor. And it it's makes like, sense in this context. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. We'll be right back with Grace Vinton. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. 
Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I want to get to your personal story. Yes. You know, we're floating around as young people, invincible to the world. I mean, I was 21. Yeah. And all of a sudden the sky falls on you. It's not a contest. Yeah. It's just like you get this early dose of mortality. Yes. And that was you. Tell me more. And from like a young adult perspective, what was that like for you? Yeah. So in 2017, I started having symptoms right when I was towards the end of my pregnancy with my third child. And so after I had my third child, I had just tremendous pain. And I won't get into too many of the details, except that it was challenging to figure out when to go to the doctor because I had just had a child. So you can confuse, of course, healing from having a child with maybe potentially a worse condition or problem. And so finally, I went to my midwife that I had my baby with, you know, to say, I'm having this tremendous chronic pain. Yeah. What should I do? And it's funny because you think, oh, would you go to your primary care? Oh, who would you go to? But to me, that was my healthcare professional as what I had just gone through nine months of something with. And she did a great job of referring me to the hospital and to a specialist and saying, okay, this is where you should go. So from there, specialist upon specialist upon specialist, multiple misdiagnoses for about a year and a half until I finally was able to get the right diagnosis and get the help that I needed. Um, but what it, were you ultimately diagnosed with? It's a little funny, actually. It was a really bad case of E. coli poisoning. No way. That was missed in the first time that I had gone in the hospital or maybe, maybe missed. We don't really know exactly when it was missed, to be honest, or when it started. But you thought you were dying for like a year. Literally a year and a half. Yeah. I felt like I was dying and was in chronic pain and trying to navigate the healthcare system <laughs> and just grasping for answers. And then people saying, you have this disease, you have this, you're going to have this pain for the Wait, rest of your were life. Were you misdiagnosed with like leukemia or something? Because no. I've heard crazy stories about <laughs> that. And like, not leukemia. oh, thank God it's only this, not leukemia. Thankfully not leukemia. But I did get misdiagnosed with Crohn's. That's a common misdiagnosis, yeah. actually. Mm -hmm. uh, misdiagnosed for a few others. But at the end of the day, I didn't have those things. Okay. But I was told you're going to have chronic pain forever and kind of had to figure out how to live with that. Sit yeah. with that. Okay. Lift all three kids now. Three children, yeah. full-time work and the job I love. And, and, you know, who knows how long I'll live. And there are all these potential treatments. I guess I need to start looking into these. And right. just not having a lot of understanding of where to go from there. Um, and they finally retook the test. They took probably the first day and that's that's what it was. It's like my husband's like, I want to make a T-shirt for you. E. coli saved my life. Yes. You know, and that you know, should be whatever. your podcast title. <laughs> Dear E. coli. Dear E. coli. And it's funny because my mom went around saying that I had Ebola. <laughs> so I was still, God bless our parents. still running into people who think that I had Ebola. And I'm like, it was way less serious than that. But I had pain my whole body throughout that season. And you just really get to see the inefficiencies in, in healthcare, the EOBs that you get that are actually bills 
that are not right. EOPs. They're like, you actually owe us a ton of money. And have you talked about else. the surprise billing issue? I know this is going to be a whole other podcast, but I, yes. I'd love to just get your initial thoughts surprise on that. Surprise billing is. And for the listeners, that's when like you think you're done and then like a million bucks shows up in your debt. Yeah. Surprise billing is a real problem in the industry. And I have spoken with uh, quite a few thought leaders that are, are working on solutions to that. Really, an issue is that there's payer provider abrasion so strong in the industry right now where mm-hmm. payers and providers have a hard time communicating with one another. And often with surprise billing, a lot of it has to do with the fact that they crossed the wrong cross paths. Mm. That often is one of the reasons that can happen. So improving tech to improve that communication between payers and providers can help that a lot. But then also price transparency. I don't know if you've you've heard much about that. It's kind of like a price line for airlines for healthcare. Exactly. Where you can kind of see as a patient how much everything costs and you should be able to to get that information. I think that will help obviously a lot with surprise billing because if you can look on your portal, if you do look on your portal. Right. Hopefully you can see what's going on and and try to, to fix well, we, it. We just had this happen last week. It was fairly benign, no pun oh, intended, wow. where we got my kids their first shot, which is supposed to be free. Yes. And we went yeah. to Cornell and Hospital. Oh, we also got our kids last yeah. week. And then like two weeks later, this bill for 600 bucks shows up. Like, what are you billing us for? Oxygen? Gravity? And I'll be like, no, you owe us money. I'm like, this is a free thing. What's wrong with you? So we actually had to call the billing and go through like an hour of customer and crap. And say, we made the mistake. That's wink, the nightmare wink. thing, really, is, is the fact that it puts the burden, the administrative burden on the patient. Yeah, and not okay. It's not okay. Absolutely not okay. And yeah, it seems like the government is, you know, with this new price transparency rule that's in effect, they're like doing what they kind of can to help, but they're not enforcing it. There's literally no muscle behind no. these things. So that's the tricky thing, I think. And and obviously we're in a pandemic, so the government's kind of busy trying yeah, to keep busy. people alive. So, but I think once they get- Not mu- Texas, just yeah. everyone else. <laughs> once they get a little muscle behind some of these regulations, maybe some of that will be fixed. But I mean, the whole healthcare just needs- the new Chicago. (laughs) Well done. You came full circle. I see we did it. Bravo, Grace Vinton. All right. Let's get into podcasting because I was like given a live talk radio internet show. I like, oh, there's a mic in front of me. What the hell am I going to talk? Who's going to listen to this? It's not radio. And it was fascinating to be at the forefront of this idea that we would start listening to people. I'm kind of old school in the sense I don't like the word podcast. Because I think it's gotten bastardized with misconceptions in American culture. You're either Joe Rogan or the it clown in a sewer with a mic yelling at a cloud. What's your take on the perception of what podcast means? See, to me, I think podcast is a good word. I think it's someone who is passionate about a topic, just going out there and casting it. <laughs> okay, like a, like a rod and a reel. Just like, yeah, just, this Give is, me some sea bass. Exactly. So I do think that if you you know want to be a media network, you can change the wording to kind of more encompass what you are. But in terms of podcasts, people just really like it because you kind of get this warm and fuzzy feeling, I think, because you're thinking, oh, they, these are just a couple people just hanging out and talking about a topic I think is interesting. So is it really a hobbyist platform now? Is it the new, I'm a blogger. In, in many ways, unless you you want to say it's a radio show or something of that nature. I think when you say podcast, people are kind of hearing that. 
Because I've gotten some feedback. It's never been really negative. It's yeah. more like, you have to stop calling it radio, Matt. It's not radio. I'm like, it's talk no, radio on demand in your pocket is. when you want. <laughs> it's radio. Yes. It's just radio in the 2020s. If you're going to be descriptive, and there is a difference between a radio show and a podcast. Right. I mean, this isn't Scott and Todd, you know, Cousin Brucie, Howard Stern back in the day, WNBC. This is not that. Yeah. But I always feel like, I talk about what we do at Offscript Health and what my show has been as we're a network. Yeah. But we're bringing back radio. Yeah. And that's a great way to explain it. Do you think that healthcare being a non-demand market, (laughs) basically supply only, to the extent that as a consumer, you know, what do I fridge? I'm going to go buy this fridge, right? Just correct the pricing transparencies. When you enter the shit happens store, in your case, it was like, am I dying of this? It's cancer for it's whatever it is. Whose responsibility should it really be to make sure you are not taken advantage of because it's not a consumer market you've ever planned to be shopping in? I would say it's the patient's responsibility in the way healthcare is right now. I'm not sure there is any other way for it to be anyone else's unless you have palliative care or something like that where they can help you navigate it, you know? Yeah. At the end of the day, unfortunately, the patient has to kind of rely on their primary care provider to help them with information about care and maybe push them in the right direction. But it's so tricky. It's so tricky. And I don't know that with how healthcare is in the U.S., it could be any different. Yeah, I err on the side of it'd be nice to have someone step in as a consumer protection mechanism to guarantee your right to know know your choices. Some payers are doing this. Are they really? Yeah, because of the way risk contracting is and the way finance models are, you know, value-based care. And some payers are stepping into this role and they're reaching out to their high-risk patients and saying, hey, did you go in for XYZ? Hey, right. have you thought about doing XYZ? Mm-hmm. And many payers are actually having, you know, one-on-one people that are directly connected with certain at-risk patients to help improve care and, and close gaps. So it's kind of interesting that payers are starting to really kind of think about stepping into that role. And maybe it's just to make money, but it's also, I think, maybe could be bettering the system too. I don't mind people making money. We are yeah, a free market exactly. economy, yeah. but it has to have some level of tangential benefit to the end user, which in healthcare isn't us. The end user is the prescriber and the payer. We're the unwitting other non-end user. Yeah. We're kind of the middle pawns in the <laughs> Yes, we are only <laughs> pawns. Process. All right. So let's talk about your show, your podcast, your radio show, whatever. It's your talk radio moment on the internet. <laughs> I love it. It's I'm a, a big fan. The show's called High Tea with Grace for the Hit Like a Girl podcast. Where did that come from? What do you do? And where can people learn how to dive into the epic conversations you're having? Yeah. So the Hit Like a Girl podcast was uh, developed many years ago uh, by women who were just inspired by the women in the industry that were making an impact and realized there wasn't really a place for them to be highlighted and to amplify their stories. And so they've been doing that for years. And I joined recently as a host because I know a lot of awesome women innovators in this space and just want to amplify their stories. I interviewed Effie that I mentioned earlier, who is the head of a rare disease podcast and a rare disease community. 
Kirby. And I got to really share her story on how she's just bettering healthcare. I got to share the story of a woman who is working with clinicians who are in air medical services and how she's helping them with their grief. I mean, air medical services, it's incredible what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, on the front lines, EMS, like, it's terrible what they're seeing and experiencing. Well, it's and, such a high risk game, too. Yes, it's such a high risk game. And she's helping them manage their grief and understand what good grieving looks like. And I talked with the head of the New Jersey HIE, which is an organization that compiles data for a state. So she works with New Jersey. And since the pandemic, they have grown like times 10 and have been able to now connect so that your records in North Jersey show up with your records in South Jersey. If what you know, a concept. <laughs> and she's fantastic and so innovative and a coder and just brilliant. And so that's really, you know, been such a fun thing to be a part of, to help share these wonderful women executive stories with the world. I mean, it's hard to pick a favorite child, but can you point to any one or two specific shows in the last year that really stand out? It's absolutely impossible, okay. to be honest, because I would say that everyone that I speak to, I'm so inspired by what they're doing. And, you know, even pharmacy informaticists, uh, nursing informaticists, I mean, people who were in the industry and said, I need to change this software so that it's better for everyone around me. I think that's really just that story is so inspiring to me that they're like, I'm going to go uphill right. instead of staying where I am, which is hard and challenging and, and is wonderful, too. They're saying, I'm going to go uphill because I want everybody else who's in this role to have it better than what I had. And that's very, very neat to me. All right. Wrapping up, because I want a part two. You're coming back at some point. <laughs> Twitter. Yeah. Friend or foe. Twitter is a great friend. I think Twitter is a fantastic way to connect with people in the healthcare and health IT and life sciences industry. You can meet like-minded folks. A great hashtag is hashtag healthcare leader, HCLDR. Also, hashtag digital health is okay. another fantastic hashtag to follow. And if you don't quite know where to start, start with High Tea with Grace. That's yes. me <laughs> on Twitter. What's your Twitter and handle? It's High Tea with Grace, H-I-T-E-A-G-R-A-C-E. Oh. H-I-T-E-A. So hi, like hello. Hi, T-E-A. All right. Grace Vinton, media specialist at Amendola. I said that right? Yeah. Host of High Tea with Grace for the Hit Like a Girl podcast wherever you listen or get or download or stream your radio shit. Yeah. Well done. Sounds great. I'm so excited. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Matthew Zachary. That's all for now. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us what you'd like Matthew to cover in his next episode by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. Out of Patients is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Betsy Shepard. Our host is Matthew Zachary. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Betsy Shepard. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.